0: Yes. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Modern Wisdom. My guest today is Steve Fawcett, multiple times CrossFit Games athlete, owner of JST Compete, and man with a Wigan accent. I drove down to see him in his Man Cave garage gym, and we had a fantastic discussion speaking about how competitors, both local and at the absolute top level of fitness, can program their years. How often should you be competing? Each year, how often should you be doing qualifiers? How can you prepare in-between events at competitions? How can you ensure that your progress is not being beset by constantly hammering yourself with Metcons? There is a lot to take away from this episode. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult, and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof, lifetime guarantee so if your piece breaks for any reason at any point during the entire life of the product they will give you a new one for free get a 15 percent discount site-wide on everything by going to bit.ly slash cd wisdom and using the code mw15 at checkout that's bit.ly slash letter c letter d wisdom and mw15 at checkout all right quick maths the less that your business spends on operations on multiple systems on delivering your product or service The more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing I've worn Whoop for over four years now, since way before they were a partner on the show, and it is the only wearable I have ever stuck with because it's the best. It is so innocuous, you do not remember that you've got it on, and yet it tracks absolutely everything 24-7 via something from your wrist. It tracks your heart rate, it tracks your sleep, your recovery, all of your workouts, your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, how much you're breathing throughout the night. It puts all of this into an app and spits out very simple, easy to understand, and fantastic fantastically usable data. It's phenomenal. I am a massive, massive fan of Whoop, and that is why it's the only wearable that I've ever stuck with. You can join for free, pay nothing for the brand new Whoop 4.0 strap, plus you get your first month for free, and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can buy it for free, try it for free, and if you do not like it, after 29 days, they will give you your money back. Head to join.whoop.com/modernwisdom. That's join.whoop.com join.whoop.com/modernwisdom slash modern wisdom. But for now, it's time to talk fitness. Steve Fawcett, take it away. Oh yeah, P.S. Some of you might be thinking, well, it's all well and good you telling us about fitness, Chris, but my gym's shut down at the moment. What am I supposed to do? Well, if there is one takeaway from this podcast, I would say that it is focusing on the individual elements of your sport to then bring it back in, so that you can use it in a competition setting. And that is what is happening right now. You have the choice to go away and work on some of your deficiencies, some of the things that you need to get better at. So go and do it, Steve said so. Steve Fawcett in the Ooh, building. How are you, man? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for travelling to Wigan. To, it's uh, beautiful. Look at this in the in the dungeon. I know this is my little uh, man cave. It's cool, man. Yeah. It's very cool. You've come back from Miami.
1: Yes, I it was. It? was uh, yeah, such a good time. Such a good time. We've been back for a, a week or so now. But it, in terms of competitions, um, probably the most fun that I've I've, I've ever had. Why? Um, probably a couple of things, mixture of who who I was with, who I was around. There was uh, obviously so I was there competing in a team with uh, Taylor, uh, Anita, uh, and Mikey, but we also had a little bit of a JST crew going on with Reggie, um, Philip, the Danish lad Philip Biscard, um, and the girls as well. So as Evie and Isla there, so it was a good group of maybe eight or nine of us. Mm. Um, We've all known each other quite a while, so it's good just to go out to Miami, which is somewhere just completely different to mm-hmm. Wigan or slightly different Sumberland, to Wigan, yeah, a little bit. Um, and just go and have a good time. And, and you know, it's like being around Mikey and Reggie; they just bounce off each other. And uh, you know, there's kind of laser sharp focus when it's time for um, the event and warming up, yeah. and then ten fifteen minutes after, it's just back to uh, just having a good time. So it's something that I've not. Um, always had that balance of around competition. Sometimes I get myself kind of in the zone and the fun aspect is maybe just kind of like limited because I'm so focused on wanting to compete. Um, so having those guys there was, it just made it, yeah, really, a really fun experience. Do you think
0: that you can have the level of focus that you want from yourself and from
1: your athletes whilst still having that turn off? Yeah, it's, yeah it is a very hard balance. <coughs> Um, if I was there if we were there competing and we were going there knowing full well that we were going to be a top three team and be getting a games ticket then whether or not the environment would have changed just kind of naturally like people would have been a bit more serious mm. um, I'm not sure but I mean I'm sure there is a balance out there but it's I think it's a very hard balance for people to find because I mean if there's three hours between events and this next event is potentially going to be life changing with the result that comes then It's quite hard to be, uh, you know, it's quite hard to be acting the way that we were acting uh, last week. So I'm sure some people have the balance, but I think everyone's balance is just a little bit different. You watch it, right? You can see different
0: personalities come across within the games, you know, watching the documentaries and, and stuff like that. You see some people who are kind of, especially some of the girls some of them seem to have real polarized laser focus and others seem to be kind of like giggly spending time with their partner or their coach and like laughing and just doing girls stuff. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like I say, I think everyone has that balance. It's a bit is, is different. I've got 10, maybe 11 individual athletes and every single one of them has a different balance. Um, some like to be, you know, t- talking to people in between events, going to the crowd, and walking around the vendor village, and just like kind of mixing around with people. And other people just like to go like full hermit mode and just mm. shut off from the world. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, what's right and wrong is there's probably no particular way. I guess it's just uh, it's it's down to each it's down to each person, down to each athlete.
0: Are there any rules that you think? all athletes should try and adhere to within competition periods like phone use sleep nutrition anything like that
1: yeah i think yeah i think sleep is definitely something that just it's not it doesn't differ that much with different athletes i think everyone needs as much sleep as they can Uh, especially on competition weekend it's quite hard to get a full night's sleep because of nervous energy and I was going to say I've never been adrenaline.
0: so you've been you've been to the games you've been to you've been to a number of big big comps yeah what is your sleep like in between those because you know you're so exhausted from the day yeah. but also so terrified for tomorrow yeah
1: personally I never struggle to fall asleep it's the waking up I would probably I would wake up a couple of hours earlier than usual somewhere like four or five o'clock because you know sometimes if you you do wake up let's like say you go for a week to the toilet and and then you start thinking, oh, you oh, fucking shit out of the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Five hours in front of arena, in front of everyone, um, and that's kind of when like that you see an S kind of wakes up properly because it's kind of going into that fight mode, and then it's it's tough to get back to sleep. So I probably I probably drop sleep by two or three hours um, as the as the lion stage in the morning. Mm. Um, but it's just important that the weeks before that it's when you can control it and you can get a good sleep, that you kind of get that sleep in the bank. Um so yeah, sleep's definitely something that they'd all need. And like you say, nutrition is probably a different thing. I'm not I've got people that help me with nutrition, help my athletes with nutrition. because um, it's quite a big, broad thing. There's there's programming and coaching and nutrition. It's a lot for kind of one person to try and control uh, everything. Uh some people deal well with a lot of food during events. Some people deal well with barely any. What's your um, disposition? I like to eat some food um, as 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 soon as possible, and it's probably something that I kind of got myself into the habit of. Back in the early days of competing, it was, um, it was just like a shake and some smoothie, and then get by. But then by the end of the weekend, it was it would always take its toll. Yeah. The fact that there's just no kind of like solid food in there to to fuel me. Um, But now, you know, after working with some some guys for the last few years, I need to get food. What's your favourite intra-event snack or food? It's really boring, to be honest. It is really boring. Just sweet potatoes and some white meat, white fish. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you've got your your, your carby drinks and and stuff like that, but I just try and keep it as bland as possible because, um, you know, you don't want to be out of breath and a little burp mid-work so, yeah. sauce coming yeah, up or whatever yeah, something horrible coming up some fishy um, some fishy burps <clears throat> so yeah it's really uh, it's really not too excited. just what playing, else? Have you, playing so playing you're, playing.
0: you're spending this weekend at Wadapalooza with <laughs> a team of guys who um, there's some young ones and some people that have got experience similar to yourself yeah. in there as well are you giving them Coaching with regards to their mindset during that time. Look, guys, we need to think about this. What about you know speaking to their girlfriends or their partners or their phones or you know what are you doing on that side?
1: Yeah, so a lot of this season and and with having what A have just gone, a lot of my focus towards the athletes is just trying to relay as much knowledge and education to them around competition and training, whilst whilst doing it with them. There's one thing like trying to teach them as a coach and then there's another thing being by the side as an athlete saying you should be doing this that and the other and I, and I find that being um like in the team with a bunch of guys or being there at the competition and maybe even competing and training with them um athletes tend to pick up a lot they'll pick up a lot more than just like having that coach athlete relationship where yeah. coach says this athlete does um, Leading by example as well as yeah, dictating like being, by example. Being in there and then showing them like why things help. And that's why recently over the last few months I've enjoyed getting back into um, training and competing because we've got a lot of younger athletes coming up through the ranks. And I find that the results that we've had from JST over the last um, kind of eight or so years, I've come off the back of that where I've been in the kind of environment of of competing and training as well as coaching at the same time, rather than just being kind of step back and saying like I'm coach now, mm. do this. Like I find that getting that environment and that group of people together and and putting the knowledge and education into them that way um, is helping the guys develop much better. It's interesting um, to see people that lead
0: by example, especially in a sport like CrossFit. Right, every CrossFitter respects hard work. Yeah. It's very much a nose grindstone suffering sport, yeah, and i i wonder I wonder how much extra a coach brings by leading by example yeah. versus how much they lose by having to inevitably sacrifice a tiny bit of coaching performance yeah. to focus on their own performance, yeah, you know what i mean yeah, like there's definitely. a there's a there's a real balance there, but I would say <clears throat> certainly knowing. Reggie, Mikey, Taylor, so you know, some of the, the guys that you work with, yeah. um, they're the sort of team, I think, that would err toward wanting to see you live the lessons you're trying to give to them.
1: Yeah, 100%. And like, I'm, I'm living that example right now, is last year, I put, I took more of a step away and went more of a coaching role. Um so I coach Taylor and Jack coaches uh, Mike and Reggie and we've, we've very much had like a the coach set away and then they're the athlete and more recently we've got more involved and with training with them and competing with them and they're coming on much quicker and you can tell they enjoy the fact that the coach is in there with them rather than just being kind of stood there telling them to do this writing this in the programme yeah. if we're in there getting involved and doing it with them um and then able to also teach them and like say educate them on just the smaller minute details because they see us doing them and then they they ask oh, why are you doing that for why are you not wearing trainers why, why are you wearing lifting shoes or why are you not wearing a belt just yeah. all the really small minute details where when, you, when you're in that coach kind of away from them it might you know you might not pick up all the Small, little, especially coming out as a competitor first, yeah. right, or a competitor coach
0: like running in parallel. Yeah, that's definitely a, a unique selling point. There's far more coaches and athletes than there are coach and athletes. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And to be honest, I just went for it because that's how I learned as an athlete. I learned as an athlete when I was around other athletes or other coaches that were kind of involved and more pre- like more practically involved then um, just kind of a standoff, kind of do as I say. So um, just kind of took that same um, kind of method or principle that, that I felt that like I learned the most and I'm just passing it on. Any stuff that you've picked up since
0: over the last couple of years, since the game, since Waterpalooza and stuff that you've brought into comp weekends that you thought was a a bit of a realisation?
1: Lots, yeah, lots. It's been... Yeah, in, in what essence? Anything, man. So if
0: it, <clears throat> have you realised that having a nap between competitions is a good idea? Have you realised that you need to leave your phone down? Have you realised that you need to spend time warming up more time, less time, whatever?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, if it comes down, it, there's, there's, there's a lot of different things you, where naps could work, couldn't work, um, like your phones on or off, and again... It sounds like the same answer. It comes that a lot comes down to the individual. Some people might just need that little bit of time on the phone just to escape, and mm-hmm. other people are getting too involved. That's going to start infect, affecting the performance. Um, I think ultimately, it's it's making sure that whatever whatever it is they're doing, it's keeping them in the right mind frame, the right positive mind frame um, to always approach that next event. Um, you know, with, with the right mindset that, that they need. So I suppose you, that's, you need to know your athlete very well Yeah, for that to be the yeah. case. Like I said, the, the 10 the ten athletes I've got, my attitude towards each one of them um, is different. Um, it's just two examples for, uh, of David Shrunk and, and Taylor Howe. Um, when David walks into the warm-up area, he's got his earphones on and um, we call it his grocery face. I don't know if you've heard the, uh, no. the Grime song. Um, and... I get, I, sometimes I'm scared of talking to him because he's just, he's just like laser focused from when he de- when he decides that warm up starting, yeah. earphones go in and he means business from that point and there's not really much joking around uh, from that point. It's just he wants to get perfect warm-up, make sure he's feeling like 100% as soon as he steps onto that competition floor and everything's very kind of serious and, and um, just kind of fine-tuned it's to that smart. point. Yeah, like it, that's, that's when he starts comes off the comes off the arena floor, smiles gleaming, have a good time and and, and he's is back to being uh, his usual self. Whereas Taylor just kinda needs a little bit more um bit more light hearted. It's the odd joke in warm up and it'll keep her kind of smiling and keep her happy and that makes her perform better. Um, so it is like it's like say it's the balance of the different athletes and it's understanding what makes people tick. Um, what's you got, too much for certain and what's not enough? Mm, You've
0: got one athlete who needs to get into their head more, and one athlete that probably needs to get out, out of their to, head more. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the things I think is interesting about you know everyone that's listening that does CrossFit, they they want the secret sauce, right? They want yeah. like yeah, but what's no no no? I know that you're saying like it's individual and stuff, but yeah, like how how much sleep do I need or what, yeah, yeah. what how long do I need to warm up or whatever? And the fact that we all are very unique individuals. Unfortunately, makes these prescriptive like um,
1: rules for people yeah. to follow. And I suppose this is the the value of a coach. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, and all, that whole thing is what we try and get across to all the guys that are on our programs. No matter what tier they're on, they could be on the £40 program where we've got hundreds of people following, or they're all the way up to just one to one individual. Um, and it's just the tools to be able to know like to educate them so that they can make their own decisions for what's the best for them and if if every athlete can then make their own decision um you know and and they know that's the right decision for them yeah. whether it's uh, what to eat after a comp how much sleep they should get should they have a nap in between hydration um you know wearing certain equipment on some events and not in the others if they know and they're educated and they can make that decision themselves then it's going to be far more effective than a coach trying to guess what's right for them. Everyone knows themselves better than anyone else knows them. Mm -hmm. Um, So education for for the athletes is key. And that's something that we try really hard to get across um, with the guys on on, on the program um, so that they can make the right decisions because someone's not, there's not always going to be someone there that can tell you what to do. You need to be able to, if it's middle of an event where it's just you and your judge on the, on the competition floor, Like something happens you need to be able to make a decision yourself based off your own knowledge it's a great point
0: you can't rely on your coach as some crutch for every incident which occurs so you've touched on it there the fact that JST over the last few years has seen quite a bit of success Mm
1: -hmm. what are some of the accolades that you guys have, have had um, yeah so we've had so we were the first um so I was the first British male to qualify for the games um, first British of, male really yeah out of regionals there was a, there was actually a guy um Jamie it was called I think maybe 2009 uh, qualified through us uh, I think he called it sectionals back then um, but out of regionals the first British guy and then we two years later we were the first British team to the games and then two years later so last year 2019 uh, we made it back again as uh, the well the second on the British team mm-hmm. to get there and we were the first. Team of well, six. So, so individual team of six, six team, team, four, team of four with a yeah. year's rest in between. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 2015, 17, 19. Nice. Um so you have so, yeah. you've seen some real
0: you know that that's a number of different uh experiences. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and on top of that, like firsts, right? So yeah. what is it about JST's approach to coaching or programming or training? Yeah. What's moving the needle here?
1: Do you know, I think it's doing a lot of little things the right way. And I, I, this is something that I only come into terms with now, kind of like the older I'm getting, the more, the more people, more athletes I see and more gyms I'm getting about. Um, is I'm seeing people just doing um, the little things not optimally, not the, not the right way. And, it's, and it is a lot of really small little things. What like? Um, like, why are you wearing, last, I touched before, why are you wearing trainers to do back squats instead of lifting shoes at this point in the season? Can, so, just to explain that one itself, that lifting shoes are going to help most people lift. They're going to help most people squat better. Say most, not everyone. But, they're making you better at lifting because it's an, an accessory that's going on to you. It's not yourself. It's something that you're adding to your body. Um, so learning to squat or lift without that added performance. We call it a performance, performance enhancing accessory. A P. Um, learning to lift without them and then introducing them closer to competition. So it does give you that effect. Is going to put you at a higher level than if you just wore them all year round, mm. because you're improving your own body's ability to do whatever it is you're trying to do, and then you're adding on the the performance-enhancing mm. accessory. Um, and there's just like that's just one small, tiny little thing. Another maybe thing is maybe resetting on your your snatch deadlifts instead of like a touching. If it's three sets of three snatch deadlift, so many people I will see just doing touch and go, where it's like. Again it's a very small thing but you're doing a snatch deadlift for 3 sets of 3 at high percentage so it transfers into one rep max snatch. So doing that touch and go rep is not that second rep and the third rep it's not transferring into a one into your one rep where you're pulling it from a dead stop off the floor. Um, and like I say, loads of really small tiny things and this is what I'm having a lot of uh, fun doing now is educating the likes of Taylor. Uh, David and, and Mikey and, and Reggie with Jack um, to get all the really small details of how to live the life and how to approach a training session, how to recover from a training session. Um, you know when to when to supplement, when to time certain meals, like all these fine little little uh, details, and we call them inches. All of them, all of them done the right way. Over say if all I'm done the right way over one week is ten things that you've that you've oh, ten inches. That done for six months is just then it starts to snowball. Yards and yeah, exactly yards and and uh, and miles. But that that's something that I only really now have realised that we started doing. Um, we started doing from from the beginning. So we're it's stuff that I had learnt and passed down from other coaches and other athletes. i had I had competed and worked with. And then we kind of had this group in the beginning at JST, we had this group of maybe 10 or so athletes where we'd we'd uh, we'd always be training together. If someone was doing something wrong, if someone was wearing lifting shoes when it didn't really make sense for them to wear lifting shoes, they'd be told in a nice way and said, look, you should just not wear them because this, that and the other. Um, belts would only be used at a certain stage. And, and then coaching cues and techniques, you know, little things that just get tweaked, but Going round and round in that, those 10 people for weeks, months and years on end made those 10 people get to a high level. And then that's that kind of snowballed again that people wanted to get involved. And, and the whole knowledge and education of um, just kind of training, living and uh, the la- having the professional lifestyle that an athlete needs um, to grow and, and to develop rather than just like the actual training session that they're completing. Mm. Um, One of the things that Reggie mentioned
0: to me the other day was the professionalism that he sees when training with you guys that he really says he struggles to see elsewhere. And what I find interesting about that, you know, all of the CrossFitters that are listening, there are two... CrossFit's problem is that it is two things. It is a training methodology, but also a competitive sport. And there are some people who do it because they like to train CrossFit. And there are some people who train CrossFit because they like to compete in CrossFit. And the fact that you have those two things running side by side means that you've got the normal class environment, rock up before, Angela comes in five minutes late, she'll just jump on the C2 bike instead of doing the run because everyone's halfway around and blah, blah. And then you've got... The guys that want to make it to the games, want to make it to the region, not regionals now, want to make it to uh, the sanctioned events. Um, you know, you've got those guys who are also in that environment, you know, someone who's still maybe sweating out a couple of beers from last night or yeah. whatever it is. And you don't have them segmented off. Whereas if you look at any other sport, you have any semi-professional or professional football team they don't also have the Sunday League team yeah. warming up with them. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, and it, it is it is two completely different things. And it'll it and it should be two completely different things. And it should also to the to the kind of um to the outlooker looking in, it probably looks quite similar, but in terms of how they train and how they live, like it should be completely different. I put a post out um not too long ago actually on our Instagram about Const- it's just called constantly varied with question mark and how an elite athlete's training is rarely constantly varied, if anything it's just constantly repeated, it's just the same it's this. It's, you, you get a bunch of exercises or a, a bunch of workouts um, that are perfect for this type of person and it's just repeated and repeated and repeated until they improve and then it's developed whereas you like you say, in your CrossFit class where you've got Angelo comes in they just want to have a good time, get fit and do different movements. So it's constantly varied and it keeps them on the toes and yeah. uh, everyone has a good time. But to get, for the elite athlete, um, like it's so much different. It's so different. Is progressive overload king in all areas? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, there's, there's other methods, but because, and I would say, because CrossFit, because we cover so many different um, like modalities in CrossFit running, Swimming, weightlifting, gymnastics—we are still way behind runners at running. So that our training, uh, you know, our training to get better at running needs to be much more simple uh, than MoFara's training program. Um, and our gymnastics uh, training is a lot more simple to uh, Max Whitlock's training program. And the same goes for our weightlifting, whereas progressive overload it can't not work for, for CrossFitters because with that, our level is that low compared to these elite athletes. Like progressive overload for Mo Farah probably won't work. you probably not see any... It'll be much more sort of psych- cyclical needs, periodization yeah. of ups and downs. Yeah, and it needs to be much, in much finer detail. Um, but because we are kind of maybe like, say we're like 70% performance than, all, than the guys who are elite athletes in their sport, yeah, um, it can be a lot more simple, and I think it's people see them, the 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 people at top in their sport, and they try and copy their methods of training. Um, but I think it's, it's sometimes, especially for something like running, um, it's too it's too advanced to do in training sessions. That is. Um, further on than them. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly one of the things that I remember seeing a
0: few years ago was when Meg had started working with you guys when she moved down to Wigan. mm -hmm. And um, she was talking about particular ways of programming monostructural work, so rowing and running with splits, taking a time, chopping that up into individual distances at slightly negative splits of that. And then the same for gymnastics, the same again, like do you one set max and then take percentages of that with percentage rest and you know like it's the same for everything it would appear in life whether it be meditation whether it be learning whether it be reading whether it be you know whatever your chosen domain of competence is like pick the thing that you can do at the maximum you can do it for and then try and make that a little bit more, yeah. compound that a little bit more over yeah. time each time.
1: Yeah, and that's and that and that in a nutshell is exactly how we would, we would periodize training. Where there's a there's a um, fa- there's phases of training where you do just that, where things are, uh, where rowing and running is 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 trained separately to gymnastics and weightlifting, uh, and then there's there's phases of training when you're getting closer to competition where um, now we're going to take we're going to take, we've built the base of all these different modalities and we're going to take that and start mixing it together into more CrossFit or event style uh, workouts so that you, your body is fine tuning to the stresses it's going to come up against. But if, if it can handle higher rowing volume at higher intensity, because you've, you've trained for three or four months rowing on its own and, and specifically worked on that. Then when a rowing workout comes up in an event, you've got a better foundation of rowing to then go into whatever it's coupled up with. And if it's coupled up with some gymnastics and barbell, if they've also been worked separately for three or four months and the, um, the volume and capacity of them, of those things have increased. Then once it's all put together, you set yourself up for better performance because, um, you know the the base of those exercises has improved increased massively. So the, the limit on how fast you can do, or how many reps you can do, how long you can stay on broken the ceilings full, is, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's <laughs> up and, and and that's how you get progress. How you progressively develop your performance rather than a lot of people see the the competitions and they see what they get tested on, and where they fall behind on that test. and How many times you heard someone. Um, struggling in an open workout and go, I'm going to do that open workout every week for the next six months. It's just like, it's not, it's not how it works. I'm afraid it's not as simple. A low training is needs to be simple. It's not as uh, simple as just doing that one workout over and over. It needs to be kind of separated. Look at what energy systems, what movement mechanics go into it. Um, and then like I say, build the ceiling of those elements and, uh, and then bring them together when they need to come together.
0: When it comes to training, that's a really important point <clears throat> that I've heard brought up by Ben Bergeron before, which is the difference between Metcons for practice for competition mm-hmm. and what you do in training. Yeah. Is there a pattern at the moment of over-training Metcons for a lot of athletes or are people starting to catch on
1: to the, I don't know what you call it, specialisation of movements? Yeah, I would... I would hope people, and I think people are catching on. Um, although it is, it is still hard for people to kind of let go, because kind of, it's, like, it's kind of like a safety thing that if I'm doing Metcons, I'm getting better. And, you know, if I'm finishing a workout, um, you know, completely like depleted, then that's me got better as mm-hmm. an athlete. Um, and the thing is, for the, for the first few years of CrossFit, that worked because everyone was that new to the sport that anything would have worked. Um, but it's getting to that level now where the improvements aren't as quick in like the top uh, tier of athletes. Um, so it needs a, it needs a different approach, and it needs that, um, like I say, that special that specialist approach where you're training things um, separately and bringing them together, and actually periodising the training. Um, you know, with a bit more thought than just head in, train hard, mm. be on the floor, and then leave the gym. Have you got any
0: examples of particular pairings that you like to put together in terms of, you know, daily or or periods of pairings where you think uh, some monostructural stuff with some gymnastics stuff tends to go well or if you're doing muscle ups with rowing, I I don't know, but there's some things that you've found tend to lend each other as complements? Um
1: yeah, it's it's a you can go into you can go into it in however much de- detail you, you want, but there's You've got these, you've got your skill elements of CrossFit, so weightlifting, uh, like max weightlifting or heavy weightlifting, um, your gymnastics, um, and, and your max lifts in general, and then you've got your capacity and threshold end of, of CrossFit. So you know your burpees, your rowing, your running, just the really simple things that your assault bike, simple things that anyone can do, um, and both are limited by limited by. Uh, different things. So your capacity is limited by um, your VO two max, your heart rate, your, th- your threshold, and your the skills are limited by coordination, strength, um, balance, and and being able to um, used like different muscle groups more of your body at this at the same time, kind of co contraction of different muscle groups, and it's it's hard to it's hard to if you've got something at this end which is like the highest skill let's say if let's say your max snatch is 120 kilos if you link that in with something capacity-based where um you know your heart rate's raised then the skill breaks down and it's that that's a, an obvious example like if you was to hit a max snatch from fresh and completely kind of rested and and prepared state then if you're to do a 1k row at a Hard intensity and then hit the snatch. You're not gonna. You're not gonna make the lift. You're very unlikely to make the lift. Um, and that's just an, obvi- an obvious example there of how um, skill and, and threshold how it affects each other. And then you kind of you can go into quite a bit of detail of how you can work them with each other so that the threshold of the skill Mm. gradually increases over time. Don't see,
0: that's what people are looking to do, right? In competition, and this is what I think the seductive factor of Metcons is, it's that, fuck, I hit 90% of my X movement after I did 2K row tests, 30 muscle-ups for time, blah, blah, whatever it might be. And that's where it's like, And that's that sort of send it mentality is kind of that's what people are chasing, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, can I do the thing which I could almost not do fresh, under fatigue? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But from a training perspective, that's suboptimal.
1: It's, it's not that it's suboptimal. It's the timing of things. Like if you're gonna have to do that at competition, then you're gonna have to get used to doing that. Like when you're getting close to the competition. But long term, doing that over and over again is not going to not going to um, increase your performance year on year. So if it, let's say it was just uh, rowing into some heavy snatches, and the snatch weight was hundred kilos, and you had, um, i imagine you, we'll take the strength and depth workout was double unders and cleans, and the cleans got heavier as you went along, and the heaviest weight for the guys was one fourteen, the girls maybe ninety three, mm-hmm. and it's heavy for a lot of people, and. Um, that's the end of a round about a ten minute workout with they probably had a good two hundred or so double unders by then and I think another twenty eight clean reps so the fatigue has built up quite a lot there um, but in in order for that for that athlete's performance to increase say maybe in you know, a twelve months time if that workout was to come back the skill level of clean needs to be have increased mm. the threshold level of working kind of those. Uh, lower weight barbell cycling reps with double unders, which is now probably classed as more of a lower skill exercise. Mm. Building the threshold of that, building the skill level of heavy cleans, then bringing them back together, letting the body get used to that kind of, um, that clash of skill and threshold, and then retesting um, is the only way that that type of workout is going to improve rather than just doing that type of workout over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it is it, people that are cl- clicking onto it especially the, the guys that are at the top like they, they get it it's the it's the athletes that are like wanting to get to a sanctional level I find like the the, the guys that um, compete at a good level around like the, the, the country but they want to get to that European or that international level um, and I think it's mainly for them where they, everything kind of gets a bit mixed because they want to do so well and they want to improve so much they get caught into it too much they see what other athletes are doing at competition they want to do that so then they do it and it's just kind of taking that step back and having a bit more of a sensible approach and a logical approach um, to what can actually get them So that's the even event. for the guys that are competing at
0: a, a local level They're not, they are not doesn't need to be going to the games they need to be specialising they need to be focusing periodizing their training properly and not just yeah. pinning themselves with Metcons year round
1: Yeah I mean it depends on your training age like someone Everyone, everyone who starts CrossFit can just do regular CrossFit for some maybe six months, some maybe two years and continually get better. Yeah. Um, and they probably need to do just CrossFit for like I say, we say anyone that comes on the programme, make sure you've done CrossFit from it from a box for at least six months so that you your body is has been exposed to CrossFit, knows what it's about and then and you also know what it is and then start looking to maybe like fine tune areas. But, yeah, anyone that's looking to, to compete at any level, um, if you've got to a point where your lifts have stayed at a certain level, you don't feel like you're getting much fitter, your gymnastics isn't getting much better, and you're doing all those things in like, it's all bundled up in like one session, then it's time to stop, separate them, work on them individually, work on your weightlifting, work on your, your condition, work on your gymnastics, build them all up separately, and then bring them back together. Um, I love it, it man. It's, it's so yeah. simple. It is. It's like I say, Reggie always says, you, always, you speak with so much logic in it. I don't know if you say it on your uh, podcast, but you say, it makes me wet. <laughs> what you, know, no you can say, you are,
0: that's not, that is by far not the worst thing that we've All seen. Right, we had a porn are? star on a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, she, she'd be good mates with Reggie probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it, seems, it does seem really, really basic. Like yeah. you know, why why wouldn't you just go away and, and do a microcosm of what the specialists within each of their disciplines are doing and then rebring them back together? Yeah. Um let's say that there's some athletes listening that are those sort of local level yeah. comps, maybe scaled one, maybe Rx team or individual. Um how would you advise your athletes of that standard? How frequently would you allow them to compete? Yeah. This is
1: this it's I the question it's everyone right, wants yeah. to know right everyone wants to know and everyone asks it's it's, it's such a um, talked about thing for our athletes on the programme and just generally people that um, just want some advice is they're always asking how often should I compete well, I, I think the
0: question might actually be how often can I compete can I compete yeah,
1: yeah. and the, the answer I always give is first of all you need, you need to um, decide why you, why are you doing it why are you training why are you competing are you doing it to get to the highest Physical level that you can get your body to, or you're just doing it because you enjoy competing. And you, although you'd want to get at a higher level, like you just like going to, you know, you scaled all your RX comps every few weeks, um, and just and just doing them and having a good time. Yeah. I think that's the first thing that people need to need to understand and they need to realise. And then off the back of that, can they then make a decision? Sorry, on what, um, on on how often they compete. I would say um, three to four, uh, three maybe four, but de- definitely three competitions per year as a maximum, and try and have them so they're quite um, they're quite closely knitted together. So there's maybe six to eight weeks between them okay so I,
0: mean, I guess for somewhere like the UK that works as you kind of bundle a bunch of comps into summer
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah you can um, now
0: also add the open prep as probably the last comp of yeah. the year or one of the one of the last comps of the year as a part yeah, of so yeah like
1: example maybe is, is obviously got the open now which is October and then there's the strength in depth which is January and if there's a couple more Abbey, Abbey UK or Europe based competitions in and around there then that's kind of that you're season to compete um, and if your goal is for longer term development then that gives you potentially 8 months of off season to do exactly what we've just been talking about, just to, to really break things down and build them back up so when it comes back around to the next year's Open you will be in a, a better position to perform better and get to a higher level and perform higher is, is part of the complication. So one
0: of the complications of why people can't get better whilst competing is that their training in the build-up to a competition requires them to do more Metcon-style stuff, which doesn't lend itself to improving progressively over time. Yeah. But how much of it is also uh, the demands of the comp
1: itself? Is it 50-50, do you think? Yeah, it, it goes hand-in-hand it goes that hand. before a competition... Um, You know, the two weeks before, the volume, um, you would hope, has has dropped. Maybe still some intensity there, um, but the volume should be lower than what it has been in the weeks leading up. So if you say there's a two-week period there, like before the competition, and then you've got a one- to um, two-week deload or a bit of time off after competition, then you've had a month month where training hasn't really been at the volume uh, or intensities to warrant continuing developing it's been it's, the volume has changed and the intensity has changed so the performance of that, that two days in the middle um, is at the best it could be and then although two weeks is probably nowhere near what most people have off after mm-hmm, the competition mm-hmm. um, that's in there to recover from the stresses from that competition and mm. um, and, and yeah then the problem you get is people don't take the two weeks they take two days uh, if you're lucky yeah um, and then they have another one two weeks later and it goes and they just kind of like snowball into that kind of overtraining I guess it's a lot of stress on the body in a competition weekend although not actual the actual amount of reps it's the, the adrenaline the nerves the CNS um, fried. Yeah, the CNS just just is in complete fight mode um, and then just not letting it come out of that and reset And then go back into training. That over and over and over again. If you're competing year round and you're competing once a month, you can just see now how that stops someone progressing. Mm -hmm. Um, And a girl on the program who um, who we told we basically told that whole story to. um, She's fully fully aware of it, but she loved competing. So um, you know that's why she trained. So it was kind of like, what position are we in to tell her, like, to Mm. stop competing? Don't do the thing that you like doing. Exactly. Um, I
0: suppose if someone concedes the fact that over time they're not going to progress, someone might very well be able to say, I'm fine with my lift staying the same for the next two years if I get to do a competition with my friends every two months. Exactly. So that, again, like a lot of the unite in principle it seems like what we're talking about here is understand yourself as an athlete understand what you want from the sport yeah um and then how can you facilitate your training and competing cadence to allow you to enjoy that so the next question so first off what everyone wanted to know was how often can i, can I compete mm-hmm. the next question everyone wants to know is how often can i do qualifiers
1: <laughs> it's a hard one now because there's that many of them although the- you know, it's, and I it's see people kind of the, the number
0: of club guys club. that are in the gym, they'll do class and they'll be like, Oh, yeah. what's going on? Are you going to do? Should we do some strict press? And it's like, Oh, yeah. m- mate, no, I'm going to do a qualifier <laughs> deadline. We've got three qualifiers <laughs> to do before midnight. 45 yeah, like, minutes up Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's um, like it's a qualifier is competition because, uh, you know, it needs a competition, maybe is defined that you need to be at your top physical performance. And obviously, everyone wants to qualify. If you can do a qualifier and Hit it with the same, yeah, the same training intensity. I know a lot. Evander just does that. that. He'll just do it as his training, and accepts that he's not going to qualify at the top, Mm. but he'll qualify, and you get to competitions, Uh, and and you're then you can. And he sees uh, the
0: potentially lower taken position in comp as a good um, compromise. Yeah. To permit him to not to maybe be able to train the next day properly or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's right. a clever way to do it. But I suppose yeah. that's relying on the fact that you're sufficiently strong you to, to not
1: level. send it yeah. and still make it. Yeah, you need to be already at that level to be able to like your ninety percent needs to be still. Everyone else good. is hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you need to be still a good athlete to be able to yeah. do that. Um But again, hey, it's just the qualifiers are obviously you need to qualify to get to a competition. So you need to decide what competition do you want to do? What are the most important competitions of the year? What are kind of like secondary, like priority wise to that and what's further down the line. And obviously prioritize the ones at the top, prioritize those qualifiers. And then maybe you have to do those qualifiers to get the competition. Um, And just don't get sucked into the hype of a competition or some really good marketing from a competition if, it's not ultimately what you want to what if what you set out to do that, yeah. Um You're right, it's very seductive. You see
0: the um you, your three friends yeah, throwing yeah. down yeah. in a stadium in Getting the sunshine. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, fucking hell, like this sounds mint. Yeah. But you're right, you have to it's the guy saying, Oh right, mate, I know you're driving but just one more pint. It's yeah, the one yeah. more pint guy. Yeah, right? Yes. And you're like, fuck, like uh I really need to consider does Doing this qualifier align with my long term goals as an athlete. Yeah,
1: yeah. So
0: and I, I wonder, beautiful. I wonder how many people that are listening are pushing themselves. You know, I love, I absolutely love the fact that the UK's got some cool competitions. You know, like other things like the coast to coast bike ride that we just had yeah. recently. That's that's mint. I don't know whether you yeah. class that as a comp. I mean, some of the guys, are, i mean, probably gonna have to take a little bit, a couple <laughs> yeah. of weeks off squats. But yeah. um, you know, there's cool shit happening.
1: Yeah but the problem with cool shit happening is it's distracting from training exactly exactly and you know I've I had, a, had a podcast with uh, Eric from, from weightlifting 101 uh, a few months ago and we, and we went through in detail my development as an athlete from 2010 when I started CrossFit to uh, to up until this point point. and for the first five years the common thing that went round and round is that I did the open and then did regionals and then and then I didn't compete and maybe I did the, like the odd one like here and there but for five years running, it was Open Regionals, Open Region, until it became Open Regionals Games. And whereas now, like, then didn't have the opportunity to compete every other weekend because there wasn't a competition mm-hmm. to do. Like in 2012, there was maybe regionals and one of the um, UK is London Throwdown, which changed its name about five different times. But, <laughs> um, so the opportunity wasn't there. So you kind of got forced just to train properly you had to go into like an off-season mode because there's no distractions. Yeah, and but now like it's uh, the, the you could literally do one every weekend, um, which is great. It's great for the for the industry. It's there's more people participating in CrossFit and in competitive CrossFit, um, which is brilliant. Um, but I do think it's limiting the level of af- like the top level athlete we're, that we're producing. It's it's stopping mm-hmm. people like Reg, Reg is an example. Um, He's got so much, the lad's got so much potential. He's 23 or 24 years old. Um, you know, he's built like perfectly for CrossFit um, and he's got a great kind of mindset for it. But he's kind of been used to doing all these little competitions around the country in it. And because he's done well at them, like that spin his like, it's got him going and he wants to keep entering them. And we're actually doing Battle for Middle Ground together in two weeks and he doesn't know it yet. And I don't know if this will be released. By it won't then. be. It'll be after. But um we're gonna finish the competition and tell him that's the last time that you do anything that's not sanctioned our games. And because he need, he needs to accept that is is better than that level of competition, not to call Battle for another round or any other competitions, but he's just competed at Wadapalooza and he's beat Maybe fifteen games athlete in a row in event and he's five foot four. Mm. Like I mean, he, he placed just, above Alex Smith. Yeah, yeah, he beat yeah he beat overall. I think he came eighteenth in the end. Just came one one um, place above Dan Bailey at filthy yeah, one fifty. Yeah, so he needs to realise that he is he is a high level athlete, but he needs to live and act like a high laf, like a even higher level athlete for him to get get there. above those. Yeah.
0: I mean, you don't see like Dan Bailey or Alex Smith going like oh yeah. the Cincinnati throwdown yeah, like yeah. I'm going to go and yeah. do that this weekend yeah, or whatever yeah, they'll, they'll go to go go like do. the Rogue Invitational they'll go to the the ones that either raise their profile yeah. or, 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 or to fit yeah. fit their season yeah for sure yeah. so you know everything that we're talking about here kind of it seems comes back to firstly what your goals and then secondly can you let your ego and the inherent in excitement of CrossFit as a sport can you allow that to go away
1: from you so yeah. that you can focus
0: on the things yeah
1: that matter yeah yeah so the goal that you actually like long term so that when you look back let's say you're 40 years old and your career's over you can look back and say "Why well, I achieved x y and z and got to the highest level I could physically get to rather than having maybe been like 10% down from that and done a load of mm-hmm. other, not average, just, just better than average. Um, mm-hmm. Finishes. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the thing as well, you know.
0: even if you're not thinking about somebody that's maybe making it to sanctionals, if you're in the RX sort of division of a local comp, taking two years off to do real focused, periodized, specialized work might mean that you then come back and podium in two years' time. Yeah. Like, would you sacrifice two years of competition of yeah. not com- not competing to get that? I right. think a lot of people probably would. But when you're in the gym and your friends come up to you and say, "Hey, man, mm-hmm. the, f- yeah. the new fucking battle for middle ground workout or the yeah. new this or the new that's just yeah. been released," like, "Do you want? We should go.
1: John's doing it with with them. Yeah, we can yeah, beat yeah. them." Yeah. Like, how, yeah, how and do then you, There's a decent little bit of prize money at these competitions so that draws you know, people man. in, so... i tell you
0: what, so it was a, a good one. So I went to Bali. I was in Bali when they had the um, Isotonic Drink 350 or whatever it was called. Right. Uh, Anthemes and his missus won it. Right. Um, they won every single event pretty much and then Anthemes and his missus won it. It was seven and a half grand each yeah. prize money. Yeah. It's like, that's the easiest weekend's work that anyone's done in my life. It is. You know, just like, roll out to Bali, do a couple of workouts... Yeah. Fuck off at fifteen grand between you go go I mean, traveling for another
1: couple of months. Yeah, exactly. Deposit down on a house. So yeah, you Easy easy work. But yeah, and that's that is the good thing about being so many competitions in the industry is that it's it's becoming um, easier to earn or, or make money. It's still it's still hard, but you know, being able to um, win your your Battle of Britain and and get a thousand pounds, like a thousand pounds for a lot of people is going to set them up for. You know, to support it's, a significant, training. it's yeah. a
0: significant yeah that's you that's your supplements and your kit for a year exactly you know? exactly I, th- um, I think as- the sponsorships may that come off the back of it
1: again yeah for sure
0: um it, it's it is a it's an interesting one man another thing to consider as well if you're a, you know an athlete that's listening is think about the fact that there are more competitions and that more people are getting into doing them everybody else is coming up against the same challenge that you are at the moment which is that competing is seductive and it seems cool and there's more CrossFit gyms and more CrossFit members and blah, blah, blah. That means that if you can do something which gives you a competitive advantage, which includes not competing, yeah. if you can do the thing that no one else is doing and, you know, you can see on the walls for people that are just listening, we're in uh, Steve's garage gym and I'm surrounded by shirts and, and memorabilia from all manner of top-level competitions. You can see that the people whom... For them, the top level of the sport is the goal. That is what they're doing. They're not allowing their athletes to compete all of the time. If you want to do that, if you want to move the needle in that direction, then
1: presumably you have to take on board some of those principles. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And you, I always come back to the, the, the feelings that athletes have at the end of a competition when they see the leaderboard, they see where they've finished, and maybe they're not so uh, satisfied by it. They, they want to place higher next time. But it's at that moment, those feelings that you have, those like raw emotions that you have there at the end of the competition, is remember those emotions and then and then plan if it's that same competition twelve months later, is plan back from there and how do you get from that that position that you're in right now to um, to ha- having the emotions that you want want to have, <laughs> and does that include competing every every month or every two months, or does it mean like Knuckling down, and if you think if the if the ten competitors are here competent tenth, and the ten competitors are above you or nine above you are going to compete three or four times, then that's like we said before. If if it's a month out of your training for every competition, that's four months potentially that there that you could gain on them if you're just doing a little bit that's that's of your training or your lifestyle, your recovery, your nutrition that's going to help you improve that little bit more. If that's a little bit more than You're the the person that's just beat you, then in 12 months' time, that little bit more or that inch, what we say inches to yards to miles, yeah, is is going to put you in a better position. That is your
0: competitive advantage, right? That is your competitive advantage. The train, the difference in your modality, the difference in the cadence of you competing that is it. So, I think, um, I hope that it's given some people a sort of a second thought about whether or not their competing schedule is facilitating their goals in training. Yeah. I, was, I was listening to something on the way down here about evolutionary psychology and about how um, the anticipation of an event is often, the pleasure derived from the anticipation of an event is often so much higher than the event itself or the aftermath. Yeah. It's why um, thinking about eating food is often actually better than the food. Yeah. Or the, the example that was used was... Um, you, you think about a holiday, you book a holiday six months in advance, you get excited for six months, you're like, fuck, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to go to this beach and there's going to be a sunset and you're looking at all the Instagram photos of it. And then you get to the beach and you sit down you're like, well, this is nice, but there's a bit of sand between my toes and <laughs> yeah. all my beer could be a bit colder and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But when you look back, you don't remember the sand and when you anticipate, you don't think about it. Yeah. So what you actually want to do, and you can hack your way into happiness by by doing this is, Plan things that you want to do well in advance because you essentially get to enjoy the event and some of the anticipatory kind of uh, dopamine kicks that you get. So plan, right, I am going to do uh, strength and depth 2021. And you're like, right, that's my goal. I get to think about that event for all of this time, you know? And like, right, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. This is when the qualifiers are going to come out and I'll plan towards that as opposed to just being ragged around by, oh, this event that I've never heard of, but
1: happens to be within fifty miles of me has released yeah. some online qualifiers. Should yeah. we go bin ourselves tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. And and do you know what the thing is it's 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 hard to commit. It is hard to commit to training for eight months and not be in that that position in in, in the competition and testing yourself. Like the day-to-day lifestyle and commitment to training can get a bit monotonous and it can be it can be hard, but you just have to keep Kind of end goal, kind of clear in your head of of what you are working towards, Um, and I think that's why people do then just go and do a competition because they need that kind of kick to Mm. keep them going, keep the motivation high. But if you can kind of just clearly set the path from now until the competition in eight to eight to twelve months time, um, and just keep chipping away and just go like month by month rather than just thinking, oh, it's going to be eight months until I compete again, and just kind of break it down, uh, then you probably steer away from. You know, being kind of sucked into competing every month. Mm. I guess um, having a training partner or like a
0: little squad of people that are potentially on that more—I don't want to call it more virtuous journey—that more long-term gold. Yeah. You bounce off each other. A do you bit think that you might know, be a good yeah. way to kind of yeah make that and more and robust?
1: And that's that's probably another thing that we've created there in JST. We've got a group of guys that understand it, so they're not kind of like they're not kind Of forcing each other if someone goes and does a competition that was, wasn't kind of planned and it just came out of the blue, then it's kind of like, Why are you doing that? We've got you're supposed to be focusing on the rogue invitation that's coming up in May or something. Like and, um, yeah, if you, if you have that group that are kind of all aligned in the same kind of mentality of um, of training, then it definitely makes accountable to little, each other, yeah, yeah, it makes decisions a lot easier.
0: One thing that I wanted to bring up, you mentioned about um, the CNS frying nature of doing competitions talk to me about what it's like um taking jst your business your gym over to the games as the first british team and then talk to me about the aftermath like what was your cns like before during and after
1: yeah so i mean i think the 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 most i've struggled is 2015 games um didn't really have much I, saw, I the JST computer was still it was around then. It was there was probably ten percent of the amount of people on it, uh, as there is now, but um it was still there, it was still it was still a thing and that was probably the only thing as well as running the gym that I had outside of training. So training was just like you were you me. had you training used. you had training people to train and you had yeah. training people to train <laughs> yeah. online. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um but my own training itself, like my wife would tell you, and any of my friends that around me was like if if anything didn't um, helped me with training, then it was a hindrance. Like it was just, yeah, it was kind of out of the way. And that for years and years on end and then having the competition and it being a bit of a brutal competition, 15 games, to then coming back to it all just kind of like, ah, oh, it's like happened. Mm. And then you see NS still having like that fatigue. Like that was... Um, I've really struggled I, I'd planned three weeks rest after the competition took the three weeks rest came back to training for a week and then need another six it was wow. just I don't know it was, it was mentally because for so long in, in my head like it was building up to get to the game yeah, yeah, for five yeah, years yeah. or so and then like it kind of I was in LA for like four weeks on Hamosa Muscle Beach competing in front of thousands and then and then I get back into my front room in, in Wigan and it's my dog's wanting up to go for a walk and it's pissing down outside and it's <laughs> so that kind of whole like dump of adrenaline and like mm. expectation to then just like back to, to normality um, like, I think I think it's that that people struggle with like, when you're at a competition your name's being called out on the, on the from the MC and the crowd cheer your name and then you have a good event and it's the endorphins are flying like you go from that and then it's suddenly being like over Mm. like two days later you're back at home and like fuck where'd it yes. go yeah it's like that I think that's what athletes struggle with the most um, as opposed to maybe the actual physical effects of the competition mm. uh, it is that dump um, but having having experienced that quite badly in 2015 like I'm able to I know I know it's going to happen now I know I did a lot of pollution at the weekend I know it's going to have a great time I know I'm going to come home and because i expected how it would feel like you did from in, that yeah. experience yeah. 2015 um so getting that across to the guys as as well is is quite important for them to then regain motivation and have it back rather than that just hitting them like a bus and being like oh shit like, yeah I'm done now yeah um, yeah yeah so i feel like that's in terms of, uh, you call it CNS, but in terms of just kind of having like that, that dump after the competition. It's more than just CNS, right? It's like you will be fatigued from the level of,
0: of um, work that you've put in, but it's yeah. like a socio-cultural thing as well that's been going on. I have been placed in high esteem. Yeah. Here is yeah. egos just getting fucking yeah. coal shoveled yeah. into Sponsored it like that. Yeah, for there, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I recently did a podcast. I've done two with DJs recently, a guy called Christoph and another one called Danny T. And um, both of those guys talk about their post-show slump. um, And Danny deals with it a lot better than than Chris does. But he's supporting Eric Prids around the world. He's playing to thousands of people. He's literally living the dream for this guy. And um, he gets back to the hotel and it's just him and a room service and a flight in 4 hours time to go to Buenos Aires yeah. or wherever's next on the tour and it's just nah. lonely and sad man and you know you see this with people like avicii timberg yeah. you know a, a dj who had the capability had the artistic capacity but he wasn't able to deal with the socio-cultural ego side the exposure that yeah. stuff and people don't see athletes in that same light, yeah. right? They don't view them as performers, despite the fact that you have to perform yeah. like
1: it's in, you yeah. know, you're paying to watch them yes, perform. It is a performance, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. And I guess it's the same for every, every sports, class where you see football and rugby players having a, having a tough time when they've retired because they've gone from do living that life to then retired and then boom. Um, but it's, it's yeah, it's just kind of that on a different scale, I guess. So you've had that 2015, mm-hmm.
0: 2017, you've got to be thinking, right, I, I need to prepare myself um, a little bit more gently somehow or account for it when I come back. And then mm-hmm. 19 as well, Like what what was some of the strategies that you put in place to kind of bring yourself out of that slump?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it just helps knowing that that's a thing and it happens, and it happens like just so you you if if you if you're prepared for it because i wasn't prepared for it after 2015 yeah. no one warned you is going, it. going, going to carry on going and then it was ass-fisted just, by yeah. some like <laughs> yeah, exactly. cns um so just simply just um being aware that it happens and it's normal because you, you go from having all those endorphins and having the greatest time of your life to then just being back to you. To your normal life, yeah. just understanding that that happens just helps like, greatly. Um, but also for me, it's just like not making immediate plans like after the game. So people always say to me, "Oh, you're on another comeback." Like you've retired four times. Yeah. And it's like it's not. It's not that I'm having a comeback or retiring. It's that I'm just taking more time off and then only restarting when I know that I'm ready to. Yeah build backup training and compete again mm. um, if I was someone if I tried competing through all of 2018 19 and, and continued then I probably wouldn't be able to compete anymore because mm. one hour wouldn't be good enough um, or I'd have just lost love for it um, so just not kind of making immediate plans when the main competition whether it's games or it's you know it's rainal or whatever you're doing not having immediate plans for like two weeks after to do another competition another competition you're just accepting, just to kind of have that that step, that step down, that step away, let your mind and your body just completely reset, and then get back into it when you're ready to get back into it. You don't know where your head's going to be at. No, I mean sometimes the it's and it's a great sign is that you two weeks after training you're you're flying again. And you can't wait to get back into it. That's <laughs> best. Yeah, best case scenario, it's a great indicator that your body's in a good place, your mind's in a good place. Um, but a lot of people then just try and, they don't have that feeling, they try and like maybe have that, maybe artificially make that feeling and that's when it just kind of like gets a little bit out of control. So um, yeah, like in 2017 and 2019, just um, I just kind of accepted that I didn't need to train. Um, you know, I, I trained when I wanted to and then I enjoyed, that made me enjoy it because I wanted to do it. Mm. Um, because there's a lot of times as an athlete where you have to do a lot of training sessions and a lot of things that every part of you does not want to do it. Um, like it's, it goes back to the constantly varied Eric that said that like, it's not always a fun thing to do is training, like sitting on a rower and doing twelve five hundred meter rows with a minute's rest. Is, unless you love rowing. Like I don't love rowing. It's yeah. not a fun no thing one, to no do. No one loves rowing, nah. Steve. Like, so... <laughs> uh, is a lot of those little fights that you have in your head like to do this thing that you don't want to do mm-hmm. over and over again for years and years like just to be able to then have a moment of time where fully let go I don't have to do it anymore it's just it's like such a nice feeling and then you you gradually find yourself being like oh, I want to get back I, m- that I miss that yeah. yeah. well
0: it's the same as You know, the first bite of ice cream is real tasty, but if I make you eat five liters of ice cream, (laughs) you're like, by the end of it, it's not that good. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a quote from James Clear's Atomic Habits where he spoke to a Chinese weightlifting coach, and he said, um, what separates the very, very best lifters from everybody else? And he says, it's the lifters who can put up with boredom the most. Yeah. You know, I think there is a um, kind of like this folklore belief that guys at the top end of the sport somehow have like a bottomless pit of motivation yeah. it's like it's not it's got nothing to do with that as far as I can see not in any way being a, a elite level athlete but it appears to be who can withstand the monotony and the boredom yeah. better than everybody else yeah. and a final point there on what you just said is when you take a love and turn it into a labour it can sometimes overshoot being a labour of love and just become work yeah. you know like if Training is your job, but you trained because you loved it, and now you train because you, it, you it's what to, you have yeah. to do, you know? Like, everyone sees the punch-drunk 45-year-old heavyweight boxer coming back for one more fight because, yeah. you know, and it, it looks sad, but there's an equivalent of people doing that to themselves mentally yeah. in the gym. Yeah. You know, you're past your passion. Your passion has left you behind, and you're now, like, just... Ringing out every last drop of willpower that you've got to get yourself through a training session, yeah. which for pff, Taz Nadim yeah. just feels like play to him, yeah, or yeah, for yeah. Zach George just feels like you know because everything's brand new because he's twelve. Yeah, like yeah. you know, and an absolute monster. He's actually going to games this year as well, isn't he? He's yeah, buffer. Yeah, his, yeah unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. man. How yeah. cool? Yeah, really. like
1: and, uh, like Tyson Fury is an example there. I'm sure he had retired. And then he had hit that stage where it, he, I think recently there was he was on someone's game, uh, someone's host show about uh, like the depression that he had gone through, <laughs> um, and like, and, but he had that. Probably had a couple of years off, and he's what's he, he's just beat now Deontay Wilder, yeah. and he's yeah. back to being world champion. Yeah. Like it's just a perfect example. There is that there needs to be a bit of a reset to be able to account for longevity in, in competing. Mm,
0: I wonder um, I wonder how many athletes that we'll never, we'll never know, but that are at the top end of the sport, you know, I wonder how much better Noah Olsen or Matt Fraser or Pat Vellner or Brent Fikowski or, you know, like Tia Claire Toomey or whatever, I wonder how many of those could be even better yeah. if they took a year yeah. to regain, because you don't know. No one's ever, this is the sort of thing that no one will ever put in an Instagram post where they'll say, do you know what it is? my desire to train actually is waning at the moment yeah. and I don't love the sport yeah. but I've maybe still got five years of, of career in me yeah. you know yeah. like it's a real unspoken
1: about mechanism that's happening yeah that that was 100% me in 2016 so for after post yeah, slump yeah it's just like in my head everyone's going oh you're going to get back to the games it's like yeah I probably should try and get back to the games because that was what I've been doing for the last few years I should do it again um and like having having struggled to kind of like get the 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 drive to get back training after after the games, just kind of like forcing myself into it and just getting back into that uh, routine again, and then just applying everything just as much as I did in two thousand fifteen and two thousand sixteen, um, and then actually got injured in regionals in the second event in two thousand sixteen. Mm. It was at that point when I got injured. Although I was gutted to be injured, and I really didn't want to be, like it was like such a relief to, to have gotten injured. Uh, and looking back now, if I had taken out, if after two thousand fifteen, if I'd listened to that part of my head that was just saying you shouldn't compete this year, mm-hmm. you should just take this year off, improve, and get yourself to be a top ten games individual in two thousand seventeen, because you need that time. Like there's part of my head that was saying that, but then you got the other part of the head that was saying get back to the games next year and then do it the year after and then do it the year after uh-huh, be a five uh-huh. times games athlete uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and if I look back now then I wouldn't I would I wouldn't have competed in 2016 and I would have saved it 2000, um, well, 2017 the, the, the other side of that is that we went then, I then competed in, a, in a, an amazing team with loads of great people and became the first team to call off half the games in 2017 so if I was thinking solely as an individual Mm -hmm. then I wouldn't have competed 2016 and would hopefully have been in better position position in 2017 but then so I wouldn't have had the achievements might not have ended up yeah so it's every cloud is still yeah
0: you know I wonder how we can focus on our better nature so to speak I don't really know the thing as well is it's beautiful with hindsight to say well yeah of course I should have taken a break yeah, after 2015 yeah. but if you'd not got injured and you'd walked into another game spot yeah. you'd have been like yeah I knew I knew yeah, that I, I actually through it. yeah exactly so I want to finish on this actually because it's something that keeps coming up in discussions that I have with people and it's how do you know when enough is enough within training you know JST I think especially with the, the this new wave of athletes that you've got that are coming mm-hmm. through, they the guys train hard, yeah. you know, they do like to go hard. How do you know when it's time to slow down because you're pushing your body too much? And how do you know when you need to push more because you've got le- some left in the tank?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, um, it's hard to just kind of like say a, a few things. Like I say, I just, inside me just like know when it's time to take some some time off. Um I, I know f- f- for my own for my own performance and for my own for my own, my own life that if relationships or business start um like having a negative effect on my own health, like mm-hmm. last year uh, although I competed at the games I had a kidney infection, a, th- a chest infection and um, an ear infection That's all not within good. like four months. And that was between having qualified at Reykjavik and then before the games so for me during that time it was, that was like well this is enough indication I'm, i've got those those infections like life was busy my, my lad was six six months or so old at that point like this is too much that's and, that's complete life statistics. rx plus 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 <laughs> yeah so competing <laughs> and training to be an athlete after the once I get through to this game, once that's done, it just needs to take a, a back burner until I feel like I'm ready to go again. And, and it took from it took from August and then December. It was like right, okay, I feel like I've got everything under control. My health's better. We're in a better routine with um with the baby and um the business in is a is a better position for me to be able to bring training back into mm. my life again. I was always training, but bring like what I would class as proper training. Yeah. Um so I guess it's you've just gotta for, for anyone else they've just gotta understand like the priorities in, in the life and they're having a negative effect from from um training and is your performance also not like benefiting from constantly going and going. Isn't it
0: interesting that you were saying in two thousand fifteen anything that was in your life that didn't serve you yeah. was Push to the side because of training, yeah. and then move it forward to sort of 2017, 2019, and you're using those the quality of those other things in your life as the canary in the coal mine to tell you when training's going too yeah, far. Yeah. In yeah. it's sort of strangely poetically ironic how that comes back around. Yeah,
1: and I guess probably just as I've got older, there's been a shift in priorities to because business and family is, has has come to the top of the. Uh, the list and our training is now like number three so um i guess training is the the hindrance sometimes to a family and business Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's kind of turned on its head um but like, like i said for the next year or so for a lot of competitions i've got planned i'm enjoying the fact that it is turned on its head and i'm still able to perform at a decent level and just see where it kind of gets me to uh, with a bit of a different perspective.
0: I think certainly, you know, watching people like Cara Webb, what's her new name? Um, Saunders. Kara Saunders. Yeah. Sorry, Cara. Yeah. Um, you know, watching her, watching an athlete choose to be a mum yeah. in the, like, slap, bang, in the middle of a career, like two second place finishes in a row or something, yeah. then kid. Yeah. Like, the strength of will that it takes to decide to put your athletic career to the side and maybe the fear is never come back. You yeah. know, I'm sure that she will, she's a monster, but like, you know, to see people do that, I think it's, I think it's very, very healthy to see people, you know, having the wholesome family life Yeah, because the bottom line is that you, for pretty much everyone, their family, their child life, everything, that is what is going to be the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But the immediate gratification of, no, but one more year competing, one more year training, you know, you can one more year until you're so, it's so late that you maybe can't. And that's a real big sacrifice to make.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it just shows that, you know, deep down and and if we're using Cara as as the example, that she, her long term like life goals are maybe in line that it involves. Kids more so, and she's not many people can say they've come second at the game, so she's done twice. And mm-hmm. you know, she's probably earning um, a full time salary from being an athlete, so she's kind of ticked those boxes. But there's only so long in her life that she's going to be able to tick the start a family box, mm-hmm. and she knows that, like, and she's proven now that she'll always be able to return to the athlete. Um, it's always a bit of a no one knows whether she'll. you'll always be women go through quite a lot in uh, mm. pregnancy so changes in hormones bit, yeah, changes in body, body makeup, body. changes in everything um, so being able to get back to that level is, is always a bit of a, a gamble maybe but I mean she's proving that she's uh, she's oh, she's competing actually this weekend in Australia I think is she in the how cool weekend, is it going so? to be if she makes it back to the games no, man like if she if she steps back out no, of the floor she not, did she not do it from the op- I'm not sure I'm not, I don't know no. um, but yeah
0: I think, you know, to kind of round up what we've gone through there, there's certainly a unifying principle across everything it would seem, which is what are your goals within training, within life, you know, within work, within business, all the rest of it. And are the things that you're doing on a daily basis moving you toward that? And then on top of that, like, okay, I know what I need to do. My training needs to look like this. And then how can I ensure that all of the individual parts – the yeah. tiny inches, how can those add up towards yards and miles? Yeah, And as long as you're consistently reflecting and moving back toward it, yeah. Man, yeah. you know, it, ma- it makes it seem really fucking simple. Yeah, I'll like just yeah. go to the games next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fight? That's all you need to do. Awesome, man. <laughs> and so people want to find out about JST? Where do they go?
1: Yeah, so Instagram, we're uh, at JST underscore compete. Um, that's where most of our, that's my, yeah, most of our information is. you have got JST compete dot com. Um, yeah, those are two main main pages and then that our actual programming is on uh, Fitter Trading uh, website which it'll direct you to after there and you can just take a look through um, shoot us an email or, or, or an Instagram message and we'll help you out beautiful man people all can right. come down to sunny Week and come yeah they can uh, uh, easy. <laughs> come and get in my
0: little uh, we've got six the people new, in here the, the new day, box so. six here. <laughs> yeah. must be one um, everything <laughs> that we've spoken about will be linked in the show notes below Uh Steve man it's been awesome I really appreciate yeah. your time. thanks me.
1: thank you me. bro cheers pleasure. thank you I'm wrong.